Hi, I'm David Murray from davidallenmurray.com. Today I'm speaking with Isabella Carrar. Isabella is a breast cancer surgeon and looks after women who require daycare surgery or more complex treatment. She talks about the kind of communication skills that are required when meeting women who are concerned that they may have breast cancer. She shares with us the importance of establishing empathy and rapport by using verbal and non-verbal communication skills such as body language, voice tone and open gestures. She talks about the approach that she uses when having difficult conversations and the importance of listening and allowing people time to talk. And finally, Isabella shows us that the techniques that she uses are applicable beyond the medical profession and can be used by everyone to be more effective when they communicate. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. This helps the podcast reach others who might find it useful. Thanks a lot for listening. Hey there, you're listening to the David Murray Public Speaking Podcast. To find out more, you can visit me at davidallenmurray.com. Hello, welcome to the show. Today, my very special guest is a consultant surgeon in a hospital in Surrey. It's Isabella Carrar. Hello, Isabella, how are you? Hello, David. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for being on the show today and uh, giving me your time to speak on the podcast. Uh, you're very welcome. Isabella, the reason why I've got you down here today is because you've got a very important job and communication skills are a very important part of that job. And I'd like to talk to you about that. Is that okay? Of course, absolutely. If I can ask you then, what is it you do? Um, well, I'm a breast cancer surgeon uh, here in Surrey and I have been for the last nearly 10 years now, um, mainly looking after ladies with breast cancer that need either day case surgery or more complex things such as reconstruction and there's a cosmetic element to my work as well. Oh well, wow. and can I ask you how long you've done that for and how you got into it? Um, well, I've always wanted to be a surgeon. Um, the reason I became a breast surgeon is that it seems to encompass for me all the things that are important about being a doctor to me. So, um, looking after people who are potentially, could be very unwell uh, and having um, the ability to make them better again, but also having a, an artistic flair, I suppose you could call it, with the reconstruction and the cosmetic work and making them symmetrical. That goes beyond treating the cancer. That's about treating their psychology, self-esteem, yeah. well-being. So your work is primarily within the treatment of cancer, is that right? That's right, yes. Um, one in eight ladies are going to get cancer, unfortunately, in the UK. And so my job is helping them get through this process. And can you tell us some ways in which you, you help them get through that process? Um, well, it starts at the very first time you meet a lady. I mean, I'm sure that every lady that comes into a breast unit thinks that she has breast cancer, when in fact only, let's say, 19, only one in 20 ladies have a breast cancer diagnosis. The other 19 are worried well. But the reality is they all think they have until they know better and they've had some tests. So communication is probably the most important skill that you could have or that I could have because it starts at the very first hello 
and it carries on through you just till the discharge after their surgery and i guess it's um key because the people in terms of their sort of state of mind at that moment in time will be um probably find that particular situation quite challenging and how do you personally sort of deal with with, with people in terms of in that particular sort of difficult sort of place that they're in at that time um the skills um required uh, when you meet someone for the first time who you know is going to be anxious is forming a relationship um people need i think very much to like people that treat them or care for them and I can't imagine anything worse than an experience where people don't like their doctor or don't like what's happening to them. Mm. So building a relationship is important. Establishing empathy through the use of a series of verbal and non-verbal skills. Um, and obviously trying to enhance that experience as you go on and give them more information. People tend to forget things as you give them more information. So it's about using skills that help them retain that information as well because they have important decisions to make um, somewhere along the line. And in terms of the, 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 you talked about empathy there, and that's something that's that's a transferable skill, probably for, for I think for anybody in any profession, even personally or professionally. And you talked about verbal and nonverbal skills. Is there any any way you could sort of share some light in terms of a little bit more information about what that what those things look like? Well, to a patient um, or to anybody really, empathy is the experience of being heard and understood. So that can be done through adopting appropriate body language, voice tone, vocabulary, maybe listening, summarising their story back to them. Listening is probably the most important part of empathy because when someone butts in or wants to ask you questions too quickly before you've had your story told about your symptoms or about whatever it is that's bothering you, if you're not listened to and heard, then people don't feel that you are empathic. And we say that that's very different to sympathy, which is where you're acknowledging something being bad for the other person, but you're not really listening and understood how bad it could be for them in that yeah. moment. When diagnosing people or trying to understand what's wrong with them, just by listening to them for a minute or a minute and a half, in fact, by the end of that short, which we call the golden minute, you often know what's wrong with the patient and which direction you need to head in, even before you've even examined them. Uh, so part of establishing a relationship is not to interrupt them. Yeah. Um, if they seem to have drawn a blank or look like that they have come to a dead end, inviting them to speak more, just say, is there anything else that you think I should know? And often mm. that will get you to your minute or minute and a half where you've got mm. everything that you need. Yeah. But it all starts with the body language. You need to be smiling, have good eye contact, look interested. It's not just about asking the questions, leaning forward in the chair, mirroring their body language um so yes certainly failure to listen is the biggest crime i think it's interesting you mentioned body language and, and eye contact because eye contact and body language help you make build rapport with ed everybody don't they with everybody so moving aside from a patient um establishing empathy is for your team you have to do it to an audience and part of my job is speaking to the public about breast cancer and awareness it's talking to my team and trying to get them with you so the skills that you learn with patients are completely transferable to the, the wider range. So if I'm talking to 200 uh, public people about the importance of self-examination, you know, I could get that very wrong if I didn't look like that. I was interested in the audience and I was not engaging with them. So mm. all skills are transferable. Rapport, empathy, eye contact, body language and all, all of that is about just having better conversations with everybody, isn't it? And 
showing yeah. a genuine, genuine interest in listening. Yeah, people can tell whether they like you or not before you've even opened your mouth sometimes. If you approach someone with a smile in your hand out and you've stood up to greet them and you've used your arm gesture to come bid them in. Um, yeah, I, I honestly believe that 60% of communication, if you're getting it right, is through your non-verbal skills. Obviously, I don't know how that is for different specialties or different arenas, you know. I, I yeah. can only speak from a medical perspective, yeah. but... Um, I think that people should enhance their nonverbal skills as much as their written word. Thank you very much, Isabella. This is absolutely uh, brilliant. And thank you for sharing your, your wisdom. Can you, if, if I can go back a little bit, just to understand a little bit more about something that you said, you mentioned the golden minute. Now, I know that people will be listening, wondering, well, what's, what's that and why is it important? Perhaps you can share a little bit more about the golden minute, please. Well, the golden minute might not be a medical term, but certainly on the, let's say, the courses that I've been on, which tries to improve communication skills, the gold minute is essentially the minute where the interviewer says nothing. So they start off the process with a question and they have to bite their tongue, resist the urge to clarify, resist the urge to have follow-up questions, resist all of that and, button, and butting in. And you have to just not speak. Okay. And the longer you can do that, the better. Okay. So it's often said that the ability to tell your story, if you're someone who's being interviewed or being heard, yeah. is very important. And doctors, certainly as I do, have the urge to interrupt quickly. You're, you're rushed for time. You want to get to a diagnostic series of questions. But in fact, we're trying to teach ourselves that um, it's not within our power, actually, to make that the most effective experience. It's the patient who mm. or the person. So failure to listen can lead to perceptions, assumptions, feeling of being rushed, and then you lose your nonverbal skills if, you're, if you've moved into that sort of phase of mentality, if you're yeah, away from the golden minute. I can imagine. And, and it's, it's a good kind of learning for us already is that certainly in our day-to-day -day conversations, what we normally do is we, we're kind of maybe judging what people are saying in our heads and kind of formulating our response before we've actually fully listened. So it's important to give people an opportunity to actually talk and genuinely listen to what they've got to say before feeling that you need to, to respond. Yes, so it's not just about hearing the symptoms of the problem or what the patient tells you first. The minute is designed to convey or designed to allow the patient to convey their motivation for coming to you or their yeah. motivation for what they want done and their expectation from it, which you yeah. won't get unless you wait. Because right. yeah. it's easy for someone to say, I want to be, or I need to know, or yeah. can you do this? But if, in fact, you haven't learnt that, in fact, their friend died of it last week or, yeah, okay. yeah. or that they want to go bigger because their husband's coercing them... Yeah. You're not real. You'll not realise the true motivation and whether the things are right or not in terms of the decision making. Wow, thank you very much. And if I can ask a question around around rapport, what would you have for the people listening? One top tip in terms of like if you're going to do if you want to develop rapport, maybe you've met someone for the first time. It might be simply things like even like a job interview. How what would be your top tip for right? This is what I'm going to focus on to develop rapport. Uh, smile. I think too many people look at other people expecting either them to be either more dominant or to make the first move or, in other words, the expect, remove the expectation from the other person to be either doing the first thing or the open gesture. I wonder if we can touch on a course that you mentioned before we went on air was around this professional 
behaviours masterclass that you went on. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, certainly. Um, doctors who treat cancer patients um, already have to go on an, an advanced communication skills course, and that covers the majority of good behaviours that you can adopt in a consultation, um, as we talked about earlier, and with a view to try and making the patient experience as good as possible. The Professional Behaviours Masterclass is taking it to the next level where you're now dealing with patients who are potentially unhappy, patients who are seeking further opinions because they've been unhappy somewhere else, patients who are thinking about suing, and basically it's the slightly uglier side of communication and how you can give yourself a toolbox to sort those people out. So it's, it's, it's sort of dealing with difficult conversations, is that right? Is that yes. right? Yeah. Is there any, any sort of top tip that you, you can share with us that you got from that course? Well, interestingly, I learned from the course that if someone is going to write a letter of complaint, which in my case could be a litigation attempt, but for someone else it could just be a letter of complaint to their boss, 50% of people already know they're going to write that letter before you've done your intervention. All right. So if you've had bust, um, if a person has had bad customer service on the phone, on to the secretary, to a company and they've already not even received their product or they've not um, had their surgery, in my case, yeah. they already know that they're a dissatisfied patient even before I've done the operation. And if they have then an adverse effect or event from their surgery or from their product, if you're yeah. you know, in the wider world, then that will trigger the complaint letter. Oh, wow. So it's all about trying to get the 50% of people before the event yeah. happy yeah. so that there's less likelihood of complaint afterwards mm. and in those that do complain afterwards how to turn it completely around that you can show them that you are engaged you're on their side and you're going yeah. to sort out their problem is there any sort of questions or any phrases that you can use in, in, in a sort of difficult situation like that that may diffuse a difficult conversation or may I guess, give you more time to resolve whatever kind of challenge might be there. Yeah, so in this course, I learned about something called the ASSIST model. And it's, it's a model that will help you in discussing adverse outcomes. And I think it's applicable to everyone in life, not just people that have had surgery they're unhappy with. Yeah. So the most important thing I think that most people want when they're complaining is communication. Yeah. And that can be either an acknowledgement of response or in the case of me being a doctor, to acknowledge that there has been a problem and to acknowledge that this has caused an experience of distress. Yeah. Then you have to express regret or sorrow that they have experienced that because okay. it's very easy, I suppose, to then scoot over that bit and think about what the, the solution is going to be. But in fact, if you... Again, it goes back to being listened, heard, and understood. Yeah. If you haven't expressed, if you haven't displayed that after a complaint, then that person is going to remain angry. And the golden minute also applies to people who are complaining. They need to be able to express their dissatisfaction. So earlier on, we talked about. Uh, I talked about people wanting to tell you their story, and now the golden minute applies to let people vent. And you've got to let yeah. it wash over you. They might say rude words. They might express anger at you. Yeah. They might um, inquire about your credentials and your ability to have done what you're doing for them. You know, they'll go all through all that and you have to let it just wash over you. Yeah. And then you have to express regret that they're going through this process. 
Um, so allowing them to tell the story. Now, some the next uh, phase would be to actually ask the person what they would like in form of uh, a solution. So in my situation, do they want another operation? Do they want a different kind of intervention? Yeah. But, but in the wider world, they might want a refund or they might even want a new product or they might just want uh, a letter recognising poor service. So yeah. that's an inquiry. Then you start moving into the solution phase, which is where you seek the way forward. Um, and after they've suggested their own um, possible solutions, then you could say to them, would you mind with your permission if I suggested a few of my own? Yes. Okay. So that respect that you show back by asking them their permission is a big factor in establishing a, a relationship again. Can we touch a bit on your experience with talking to large audiences? Is that okay? Sure, yeah. Can you just give us a kind of a feeling of what that looks like and how you go about preparing for it? Um, so outside of communicating with patients, um, my slightly wider audience might be the team of 20 or 30 people that I work with. But in fact, what's more important to me is the the bigger groups of public, the general public that I speak to a few times a year, trying to give them awareness about breast cancer how do you prepare for them um, I think it's important to know your audience I think if you go in doing a talk that speaks to your particular skill and power and finesse and you haven't actually gauged your audience and don't know what they're either wanting to hear or what they have an understanding of already then I think so if you haven't prepared and got to know who you're speaking to then I think you're almost destined to have a, a a problem sometime at some point that's a very good point that so prepare know who you're going to be speaking to um is, is very important and i can remembering as well as whatever you're doing it's about the audience it's not about you isn't it yeah you have to make it personal for them mm. if you're going to talk about something as that could be dry i mean a dry topic can be really interesting if someone looks really enthusiastic about it if they make the language simple if they give examples that would apply to you in your average everyday life so um, I would say get off your high horse if you're an expert <laughs> and get, get right down to where Thank the people are living. <laughs> yeah, good tip. Thank you very much. Mythbuster. So if we can do a quick Mythbuster question, please, that I ask everybody, is that when people think about talking to a room full of people, audiences, they might get a little bit nervous and they might think certain things will happen, but they rarely do. Can you think of something that people think will happen but never does? I worry that sometimes the, the topic might be boring, that somebody might go to sleep, especially in the after dinner period, after lunch period. I worry that people might have to leave the room or, or that I've pitched it so wrong that they, I have lost them and they go quiet and don't engage anymore. Yeah. And in your experience, does that happen? Oh, gosh. I think, I think it probably has done, but I guess 10 years down the line, you kind of learn, I think, I hope, to weed out the worst of your behaviours, especially if... You, so I would say asking other people what they thought and asking someone who's honest what they thought. So that's a probably a good tip, tip from a Mythbuster perspective is that we can probably get caught in our heads a lot about what we think might happen. But actually, um, as long as you prepare, that's, that's great. And because you can't essentially plan for everything, but also it's actually it's OK to ask for feedback. Yeah, you should ask for feedback. I, I think that, in fact, you can't learn unless you get feedback. Yeah. Because, so, because yeah. you, you've got no reference point, you know. 
So I think for everybody is that be willing to take feedback and ask for it. You have to. And it, and I've had feedback that said that, oh, your talk was a little bit too long or you didn't include enough on this or you put too much of that in. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, you change your talk next time. Yeah. And you're always learning and we're always improving, aren't we? Yeah. And I think that there's no such thing as the perfect talk because everybody's individual in the audience. You don't know what really what they've come to hear. Um but you don't ever want people to walk away thinking that was a waste of a talk or waste of time. So if you can keep your topic interesting and have you know, some good points to convey in there, then um, you just move on to the next talk with more ammunition. Thank you very much. When you look back at your career, is there something that you know now, just one thing that comes to mind that you've learned that you kind of wish you'd known at the beginning that you'd tell yourself? Um, I think that I wrongly assumed that people with important titles meant that they were better people or more important people. I've now realised that everyone is just a human and that I'm not more important than the cleaner in the hospital and that I try and break down barriers that are to do with hierarchy. And in fact, using the British Airways model of being able to feed back and convey um, risk um, if you break down barriers between different social groups of people, you'll all get along better because people will realise you're just a human doing a job. And if it comes to public speaking, rehearse, 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 rehearse. When you're a junior and you're doing these things for the first time, you're too frightened. But if you say something 53 times before you stood on the stage, you don't get nervous as soon as you've said your first three words. Thank you so much for your time today, Isabella. I know that the listeners will get a lot of value out of what you've said. And on hearing your podcast, they're probably interested in learning a little bit more about what you do. Is there a way that they can find out more about what you do? Uh, yes, I have a website, but it's obviously mainly for patients inquiring about me. But it's www.isabellacarat.co.uk. And I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter. Oh, great. So if you're happy for me to, I'll add those to the show notes so people can get in touch. Um, I've had a great time interviewing you today. Hopefully you have too. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be able to talk about things which are important to us and share it with other people. Thank you very much, Isabella. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Speak to you next week. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit me at davidalamari.com.